Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Friday, the 15th day of November 2013. And today we are reading from the big book. We're in a chapter, A Vision for You, and we are on page 161, and we're going to start with the very last paragraph, Under Only Slightly Different Conditions. And today's readers are the 12 Steps, Lois, 12 Traditions, Meg O, and then Hoodie, Katie G, Sharon, and Kim. And the share code for yesterday, Thursday, the 14th of November, is 5460-5460. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no positions on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Lois to please read the 12 steps. Good morning, everyone. This is Lois, recovered in Massachusetts. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a decision made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him. Oh, excuse me. (laughs) Eleven, no, I did eleven as we understood him, sorry, uh, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry the message to compulsive overeaters 
and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Lois. And I will now ask Meg O to please read the 12 traditions. Thank you, Monica. Good morning. My name is Meg O, and I am a very grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Vermont. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, The only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, An OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. 7. Every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. 8. Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. 9. OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10. Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personality. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Meg. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your commenting be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. And once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. 
And today we are resuming our study of the big book. We are in the chapter of Vision for You, and we are on page 161, and we are beginning with the very last paragraph on the bottom there, only under slightly different conditions. And I will ask Hoodie to begin reading, please. Good morning, Monica, and good morning, A Vision for You. My name is Hoodie, and I am a recovered compulsive reader. Under only slightly different conditions, the same thing is taking place in many eastern cities. In one of these, there is a well-known hospital for the treatment of alcoholic and drug addiction. Six years ago, one of our number was a patient there. Many of us have felt for the first time the presence and power of God within its walls. We are greatly indebted to the to the doctor in attendance there, for he, it, for he, although it might preju- prejudice his work, his own work has told us of his belief in ours. And um, again, I'm hoodie, and um, this hospital um, is the town's hospital in New York, um, or in the East Coast, and. Um, and the doctor is Dr. Selkworth, where um, you know where he writes that letter in the beginning of the book, in the Roman numerals, the doctor's opinion, where he ex- he also um, was willing to um, you know, um, 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 despite his own work, was told um, told of the um, what works with alcoholics and told him about the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind, this twofold illness that we have. In belief, and with that, I'll just pass. I'm just, or rather, I'm just so grateful for this, um, for this doctor who has, you know, put his name on this book, so that um, I could also recover from this serious disease. And with that, I pass. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Hoodie. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? Star one to unmute. Sarah. Sarah, go ahead, Sarah. Uh, good morning, Monica. Good morning, Vision for you. My name is Sarah. I'm a grateful recovering compulsive overeater, and um, I just kind of wanted to tie together uh, this paragraph with the previous one, where it talks about you know being wrecked in the same vessel, uh, being restored and united under one God, with hearts and minds attuned to the welfare of others the things which matter so much to some people no longer signify much to them. And, you know, I hear hints of the first uh, tradition in this, Um, the idea that, you know, of unity and of the common welfare or the, you know, the good of the whole group is the idea um, of, of, you know, a lot of you know I think a lot of people kind of uh glaze over the the traditions, but it's such an important part of our group, and we are talking about the groups, you know not just individuals anymore we're talking about the groups uh so the the first tradition says our common welfare should come first, personal recovery depends upon a a unity, and you know where it's talking about um all the different uh, people from the different places. That's what we're starting to get into. Uh, 
you know, the, the idea that we're connected to each other. But the one, you know, the, the most beautiful part of it is, it says, for the first time, the presence and power of God within its walls. Uh, you know, for the first time, people started feeling a sense of, you know, whether it be the, you know, uh, the power within us or outside of us or that unites all of us, it is that power. And, you know, it talks about the great indebtedness. And, and there's the gratitude, you know, I think which is so important for us to, uh, for me to be mindful of that, um, you know, the, the people before us that, that struggled, uh, that were pioneers in this, um, in this great endeavor to, uh, to help other, other addicts that were suffering so greatly, um, which has helped me in turn, you know, and helped so many other people. And, you know, uh, you know I, th- I think it's, I can't remember if it's AA or OA, you know, for this we are responsible to always reach out our hand to the still suffering, whether it be compulsive overeater or, or alcoholic. And I think, you know, I always have to be mindful of that um, to, you know, that is the purpose. And I think the, the last part I'd just like to say is about motives. You know, the motives for how I speak, how I behave, uh, whether it be in my family or in a meeting, um, that I need to keep them pure and not about how I look or how I sound or if that I'll, if I'll be um, uh, adulated, you know, if I'll feel like people are, you know, um, patting me on the back and saying, wow, good job, but it's that it comes from my heart and hopefully that it comes from that power that higher power that that guides us all. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much for your service, Monica, and have a wonderful day, everybody. Thank you, Sarah. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Paula. May I share? Okay. I heard Paula and I heard someone else. Irini. Irini and Leah. Okay, Paula, Irini, and then Leah. Paula, go ahead. Thank you. This would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. You know, that first line, under one slightly different condition, slightly different conditions, the same thing is taking place in many eastern cities. Now, there is movement. It didn't stay. It went on. And what went on? You know, it says here in this part here, if this was, if you were going to visit an artist, a gallery, or a creator's gallery, that that created it, what do we see here? The first time, the presence and power of God within its walls. We're talking about an addiction center here. There's not the power and presence of God here. You see pictures of lives. No hope. No hope. They would stay there. And there they would die. But oh no, with the presence and power. Now look at the combination. Whoa, that's a mighty combination, and you needed a mighty combination because this is a disease that has such strength, the strength to take you down. But look what brought him up. Oh, I love this gallery. Within its walls. And then it says, look at the gratitude here. Here we come together. We are greatly, greatly indebted to the doctor in attendance there. For he, although attendance, he attended to... But how did he do it? There the lesson for us to learn. 
although it might prejudice his own work, look at what he put aside, has told us. Now here, you want to talk about United? Of his belief in ours. And it goes on. Movement. Thank you again for allowing me to share. With that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. And Irini, you're up. Thank you, Monica. Good morning, my spiritual brothers and sisters. My name is Irini, gratefully recovered. Thank you, God. Hmm. The presence, the presence and power of God. Wow. The presence is, it's a fact of existing in a place, and power, which I looked up, is the ability to do something. So the presence and the power of God Feeling the presence of God and living there, this is my spiritual growth. It's about practicing this way of living and being in his power. It's that connection that allows me to make that connection stronger. It's not just plugging in. It's building on that connection and allowing me to be who God meant for me to be. And it's his light that gives me the spiritual eyes that I have to see and feel the truth to do what is right. And this is how I feel united with God and protected against my will and my mind. And I'm being guided throughout the day by the choices I make and I behave according to his will. And it's it's the knowing within my spirit, within my soul, and it's not of the mind, it's not knowing in my mind, but it just, it goes throughout my whole body to not worry about comprehending um, through my mind, but it's about what he would have me do, and it's the knowing and understanding in my soul and being guided by that, and it's having, you know, the eyes of the heart, totally surrendering and trusting and being guided. I thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Irini. And Leah, your turn. Go ahead. Thanks so much, Monica. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Uh, again, we're in a vision for you, which is an account, a brief account of the development, the evolution, the birth of OA and its fellowship. It was born out of the program of recovery. It says six years ago, one of our number was a patient there. Of course, that's referring to Bill Wilson. Many of us have felt for the first time the presence and power of God within its walls. Um, you know, something was going on <laughs> with... Uh, with alcoholics who normally had been written off. I mean, they were usually locked up. Uh, They never saw the light of day. They drank themselves to death. Um, Here was a method, a, um, a solution, a way out for these men and women Um, to be recovered. This was raising of the dead. This was far more than just mere elimination of alcohol. I mean, alcoholics had been dried out, uh, you know, numerous times, thrown in, uh, you know, detox from alcohol, and then released from the hospital, only to find themselves uh, back in the bottle 
shortly thereafter. Something was changing, and this was far more than physical. This was something happening because each person was encouraged to develop, find and develop and nurture a relationship with a power greater than themselves. God consciousness. So it says many of us have felt for the first time the presence and power of God within its walls. This was something far beyond human aid. This was beyond intellect. This was beyond knowledge. This was beyond the material. This was something spiritual in nature that was raising the dead. How do you explain men and women who were enslaved, totally enslaved by alcoholism, and now they are rising up out of a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body? That was their experience due to a spiritual experience. Their problem was powerlessness, but now they were being given power. Their problem was isolation, but now they were being given community because this was spreading and developing. It says we are greatly indebted to the doctor in attendance there, for he, although it might prejudice his own work, has told us of his belief in ours. This, of course, refers to Dr. Silkworth. He was AA's first friend. He was a doctor. He was a neurologist. He had a professional um, you know, job as, a, as an alcoholism specialist, and he freely risked his professional reputation to champion this fledgling movement that's going on over here called Alcoholics Anonymous before it was even named that. And, of course, he writes, in the doctor's opinion, you may rely absolutely on anything they say about themselves. Why is that? Because these uh, pages, this experience was, um, was the collective voice and wisdom of people who were raising up. This was far more than mere elimination of alcohol. This was a better life than they have ever had had they never had the illness. This was um, a reordered life, a renewed life, a new life, a new happiness. And Dr. William Sirkworth was more than happy to um, suggest it to anyone he came in contact with. And for that, we are grateful. He was our medical saint. And we owe a debt of gratitude to him. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. And this is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And I just want to add a couple little things here on Dr. Silkworth here. You know, he definitely is a a saint to um, us all. For we are greatly indebted to the doctor in attendance there. For he, although it might prejudice his own work, has told of his belief in ours. So he was the first doctor. He was a medical doctor, and he's the first one to come out and say, alcoholism is a disease. It's a medical disease. There's a physical aspect to it. There's a mental aspect to it. You know, because for what? Probably thousands of years, um, alcoholism was considered a moral issue. You were, you were weak. You were weak-willed. You were a sinner. You know, this is how alcoholics were looked upon. You know, well, just pull your bootstraps up and do it right here. Do the, do the right thing here for your family and everybody. And this guy comes along and says, whoa, 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 there's a whole bunch more to this than that. I believe it is a physical illness. And, and, and with that, 
you know, he's coming out and saying this stuff. He, he could have really jeopardized his profession. You know, he could have been called a quack by everybody out there. And thank God this guy continued to work with, with alcoholics. I, he had to have been a saint. You know, he worked with over 50,000 people. How many times did he see the same one coming back in? Dry them out, go away, come back in, you know, over and over. So, yes, how grateful we are to this man. And he also said, you know, you need a spiritual experience to help you with this. And Bill, um, the presence and power of God, and this is where Bill had his spiritual experience, was here in Towns Hospital in New York City. And with that, I will pass. And would anybody else like to share on this paragraph before we move on? Okay, let's move on. And Katie G., would you read, please? Hi, yes, I'd like to share if I might, please. Good morning, absolutely. Yep, uh, this is Katie G., Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Boston, Mass. Every few days, this doctor suggests our approach to one of his patients. Understanding our work, he can do this with an eye to selecting those who are willing and able to recover on a spiritual basis. Many of us former patients go there to help. Then, in this eastern city, there are informal meetings, such as we have described to you, where you may now see scores of members. There are the same fast friendships. There is helpfulness to one another, as you find among our Western friends. There is a good bit of travel between east and west, and we foresee a great increase to this helpful interchange. My name is Katie G. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Uh, grateful to be here, Aspen, sober by the grace of God on this cold Friday morning. And uh, I mean, I have a couple thoughts. One, I obviously want to echo um, uh, Dr. Silkworth is definitely a hero of mine. The humility of a um, of, of a medical MD to say, you know, um, you may trust on anything, you know, that these. Um, people are saying, and we are recovering not because of a cadaver at Harvard Medical School, you know. We are recovering because of a power greater than ourselves, of this altruistic movement that is that is happening still among us, thank God. And um, it is so beyond the confines of, you know, the medical degree. It is just phenomenal that he um, was so endorsing of this program and obviously and that was a process for him as well and I'm just I think of my own doctors right like my own you know going into Boston um, and being treated by the best neuroendocrinologist for um, you know diagnoses of anorexia nervosa and binge binge purge disorder and whatever other disorders they wanted to give me with you know, the psychiatric medications and all of that. And, you know, there is nothing um, funny about, you know, or not legitimate about, you know, my doctor's solutions, right? They just don't work for me, right? Because I have an allergy of the body and an an obsession of the mind. Um, And I have been completely honest, and it has been very surprising with my, to my medical providers, this success. Um, the restoration that's happened to my physical body and my mental life because I've shared very openly with them about my mental recovery as the result of working the 12 steps. And and I am willing to share with people. Um, when I do, you know, my doctors know um, that I am in recovery from 
from compulsive overeating and that I am uh, working a 12-step program and that I am willing to talk to anybody. And, you know, this idea of these, these fast friendships, um, I was talking with a girlfriend from program the other day and I just thought, I said to her, you know, that little girl, that little Katie G reading there, reading A Wrinkle in Time and stuffing her brains out, right, because I'm like escaping. I'm trying so desperately to escape my mind. And I am driven by this allergy where I cannot stop because I've started and I'm so lonely. That, that you know, awful pathological aspect of my life has now turned to be that solution. The fact that I have a solution to that aspect of my life is the most, the strongest and most profound aspect of my life. These, of course, fast friendships, we like cut to the chase. We like when somebody talks to me about the um, desperation of their disease and the change that they've had in their life. It is absolutely breathtaking, and I know I sound like really passionate, but you know what? When your life has been saved, when you've been given the opportunity to live multiple lives in one lifetime, there is no reason that you should not be on fire about this program, on fire about living in 10 and 11, and of course the number one purpose, which is to carry this message, which happens through these informal meetings, through the conveying of who I am, not only by my words, but moreover by my you know, commitment to my life, to my integrity of my word, to living honestly and kindly and right with all of God's kids. And um, if you're new to this line, hold on to your seats because um, it is an amazing ride. Thank you. Thank you, Katie. And I'm sorry, there was someone who was trying to, uh, wanted to share before Katie started reading, if you would like to come back on. Hi. And from Pennsylvania. And your name again? I didn't catch it. Sue. S-U-E. Sue. Go ahead, Sue. Sue. What page are we on? We're on page 162, first Thank full you. paragraph. Sue, go ahead. Dr. Silkworth, he, he was a hero, but he was every man and every woman in, in these rooms. He, he believed in the spirituality of the program, the idea that one person could help another that way from their own suffering. And think of him. He's this doctor in this hospital with a bunch of hopeless cases and a few that maybe got better. And he needed friends too. And it, it's just as we were reading, and I can't quote it. I don't have the line in front of me. But the, but that the fellowship that began with the first people that got together in in the Wilson. Uh, borrowed mansion or whatever, they they were um, people that were diverse and people were allowed to come there if, whether or not they were alcoholics, that, that it's a people program and that the first 100 were helping Dr. Silkworth. The first one was helping him by having this idea that the doctor himself was a human being who wasn't going to get along too well if he practiced his trade in isolation. And I think that that um, it helps me when I get out of my humility zone to remember that if I go for medical or religious or spiritual help or help from anybody, 
that that really who who is there who can help me? It's anybody. Anybody can help me when I'm open to it and open to the to the message of uh, of step twelve and carrying the message and living in that way. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, hey, Julie. I'd like to share. Hiya. Okay. Julie, and then Haya. Go ahead, Julie. Hi, this is Julia, recovered compulsive overeater in California, and um, I just want to say, you know, ditto to what Katie and and the next person said. That, that first two sentences just clearly states, you know, that the doctor suggests our approach to one of his patients. You know, it's to people who are willing and able to recover on a spiritual basis. And it says every few days. I mean, that was back in 1939. And I just look around me now, because when you go to the doctor and, you know, you're 150 pounds overweight and they want to give you a diet. And I am so blessed that my doctor got to um, see me smaller. And when I um, decided to leave program and came back broken and I wanted surgery and he said, no, you need to go back to OA. And um, because he saw that I could recover a different way. And um, it's exciting because they give me people to call now after they get their permission and I get to talk to them about the program because he trusts, I guess he can see the results, see the change in me, not just physically, but spiritually. And I think this is definitely what Dr. Silkworth did. I mean, he got to see the transformation in everybody's lives and the fellowship that is among us. I mean, Katie talked about that. There's people that I talk to that when I, I can call them any time of the day or night and they're there for me. And it's because they understand. They understand the process. They understand they've been through the transformation. They're no longer broken. It's, um, you know, I can go anywhere, any state, and find somebody who's on this phone meeting and go have lunch with them and feel like I've known them all of my life. So it's exciting that, um, you know, Dr. Silkworth kind of broke the mold, and and I'm glad that my doctor told me to go back to OA instead of... um, having me go through a surgery. So I'm just grateful to be here. This is such an um, awesome, life-saving program. And, you know, being passionate about this, you bet. I, and I'm not even a, a tenth of, of where I'm go- going to be. You know, I'm, I haven't been rocketed all the way to the fourth dimension, but I'm pretty close. So thank you so much. Thank you, Julie. Haya, go ahead. Hi, Monica. Hi, everybody. This is Haya. I am a very grateful recovered compulsive eater and bulimic in Dallas, Texas, and to be from Denver, Colorado. Wow. First, I want to welcome anyone who's new. Um, This is such a great chapter of vision for you. And what I was thinking as we were reading these paragraphs and as people were sharing, and I am on fire as well as Katie is, you know, when you, I do feel like I've had many lives in a lot of ways, many lives in Overeaters Anonymous, you know, um, being in a thin body but still being plagued by resentment, judgment, um, fear, um, in in recovery, you know, in, in the rooms. It was until it was it was only until I was introduced to this book, I knew the book and I had been through the book, but in going through the book page by page, understanding the problem, 
um, that I was able to grab onto the solution and, and become recovered, and I'm grateful that I am today. And as we were reading this, I was thinking about how, you have to understand when this book was written, right, the, 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 the few people had recovered, and then several years later they decided they need to write this book so that they can get this information out there. And the last chapter uh, of the first 164 pages, which contains the program of recovery, it's a vision for you. It was a vision for them also because they were, they were taking their experience so far and having been recovered, they were able to say, here's the vision that we see and it's a vision for you. The vision for you, the person reading this book. What was the vision? They, they didn't know what we know today, which is that, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous and Overeaters Anonymous and Gamblers Anonymous and Nicotine, all these anonymous programs where people have been able to recover from addiction is all over the world. This book has been translated into a gazillion, that's not really a number, but I don't know how many, languages, right? And wherever you go on this planet, you can find a meeting practically. And if not, you know, I was thinking, you know, God, you know, I feel like the from this this vision that they were foreseeing, um, it says here, um, there is a good bit of travel between east and west. They're talking Akron and New York, and we for west is Akron, and we foresee a great increase in this helpful interchange. And I was thinking of the word interchange. I was thinking of the internet and how the internet has, you know, we have this website and how people can find a meeting and listen to a meeting online and the telephone conference lines that have developed over these years. This wasn't happening then. This was not happening then and look what's happened now. This was the vision that they could see from their experience and that can only be from a power greater than ourselves. Um, I am so grateful that this is a spiritual solution that it was a spiritual problem, that I did need to put down my, my alcoholic foods, I like to call them, because just like an alcoholic has to put down the alcohol, that the doctor explains in, in the doctor's opinion, I had to put down my alcoholic foods and food behaviors and then get to recover through these steps. And you can have that too. This is a vision not just for me. I'm just a garden variety compulsive eater. Uh, who also got the little blessing of bulimia on top of it, just like you. Um, and you, this is a vision for you. It was a vision for me when it was shown to me. It's a vision for you. It's a vision for all of us. And the beauty is that when we grab onto this and it becomes a reality, not just a vision, we get to offer it to the next person. And that, that is something you don't want to miss. Thank you so much for letting me share. Thank you, Haya. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Lois? Okay, I Sally. heard Lois. Who else? Lois? And who else? Sally. Sally? Lois and Sally. Okay, Lois and then Sally. Okay. Yep, thank you. Good morning, everyone. Um, understanding our work, he can do this with an eye to selecting those who are willing and able to recover on a spiritual basis. And, you know, this whole two chapters or three chapters, paragraphs that we've read this morning, you know, just jumps out to me that these are my people. You know, I am right there with them. I'm, I'm with them in that house where they were, many of them were, and then I'm also with the, uh, with the people who have recovered and go back to that hospital and share their story with others. 
and when I when I compare my, my my past to this, you know, I was born into a certain family. It was a dysfunctional family. I had a disease of compulsive overeating, and I did not. I was not able to live the same as everybody else. I was not normal. I didn't know that then, but you know, it it the way it affected me was it isolated me from my family, and uh, when I have come into a program and recovered, I've mentioned this before, that uh, I have been given a new a new life. And my, my spirit, which was dead, you know, I was dead to the normal world, and my spirit has been, has been um, treated, and I have begun to live in a very, very different way on a spiritual basis. This was a gift that, just like Ebby, I'm Ebby and I meet Bill. And, and and I was given this gift of recovery. I was given an, an opportunity for a new life. And when I read this, this is this is a repeat. This is my history. And it's so exciting that I too have never lost my enthusiasm for this, for life, for the spiritual life and helping others. And um it's such a gift that when I when I even when I talk to other people, I think of myself as Ebby. All right, I am Abby, and when I, I may meet Bill, I might meet Mrs. Bill. And, and I have an opportunity to share my, the good news, the good news of recovery. So it's, it's very exciting, and I treasure it. It's the most life-changing thing that has ever happened to me. So, yes, if you are new and you're trying to you put the food down and you're trying to understand to begin to work these steps, you know, we came, we came to, and we came to believe. And um, you have an opportunity today to um, to listen to this and hopefully, you know, try to repeat what, what others have gone and done before you. And with that, I'm going to pass. Thank you, Monica. Thank you, Lois. Sally, go ahead. Thank you, Monica. Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, good morning, a vision for you. It's Sally, a recovered compulsive overeater, and I find these lines extremely um, exciting. Um, first of all, Dr. Silkworth, you know, at that particular time in history, more than today, doctors were gods. In the 60s and 70s when I was alive, in fact, my own dad, I had him in my Rolodex, and I put him under G for God because my dad was a doctor, and I saw the incredible respect people had for him, and I also saw his own, his, you know, I, I won't say too much about it because my dad is a very humble man at this point, but at that time in my eyes, I saw my dad like God. And I imagine that Dr. Silkworth was probably treated very similarly because he was a doctor. We all know humble doctors today, but back then, that's not exactly how doctors were seen, and some of them didn't act like the way this guy behaved. This man was so humble. He is the epitome of the definition of humble, the absence of self-pride, self-will, and self-assertion. He doesn't have this self-assertion of, I know what I'm doing, get out of my way. He knows he's seen too much at this point. He's humbled by what he's seen. And so he goes into this patient's room. He says every few days the doctor suggests our approach to one of his patients, understanding our work. He can do this with an eye to selecting those who are willing and able to recover on a spiritual basis. Many of us former patients go there to help. You know what I hear, what I see here? This doctor is walking into these patients' rooms, and he's saying, listen, 
I'm going to send someone in here. You might recognize him. He might have been standing across from you, you know, in, an, in a dark alley with wood coming out of a big barrel and fire. You might have been standing and warming your hands in, in, this, in this barrel, and you might recognize this guy. In fact, you might recognize him from down the hall because he, you might have seen him in the hospital. Okay, maybe he didn't see this. But the fact of the matter is how incredibly humble this man is to say, I'm going to send someone into you who I I believe is going to help you and perhaps is your only hope. And who did he send? He sent these individuals who were uniquely, uniquely useful to help these guys who apparently he had an eye to selecting those who were willing and able to recover on a spiritual basis. They were desperate. They were able to hear I can't do anything for you. You're in God's hands because that's the solution. Yeah, he probably didn't say it, but that's what he knew in his heart, that that was the solution. It was a spiritual solution, and it could be only delivered by those who were among his peers who would truly understand his thinking. And that's what's so exciting to me about these couple of lines here. We can truly see, like a Norman Rockwell painting, a picture of a humble doctor going into a patient in a bed who's desperate, who's absolutely desperate, and he's going to send in a guy that he might have seen down at the Bowery, down in an alley, or maybe down the hall as a patient. Thanks for letting me share. With that, I pass. Thank you, Sally. Let's move on to the next paragraph. And Sharon, would you read, please? Good morning, Monica, and good morning, Vision for You. This is Sharon, and I'm a gratefully recovered compulsive overeater. Someday we hope that every alcoholic who journeys will find a fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous at his destination. To some extent, this is already true. Some of us are salesmen and go about. Little clusters of twos and threes and fives of us have sprung up in, every, in other communities through contact with our two larger centers. Those of us who travel drop in as often as we can. This practice enables us to lend a hand, at the same time avoiding certain alluring distractions of the road, about which any traveling man can inform you. And so Bill is giving us a little bit more detail here as to how this fellowship grew and also to its significance. And so how do we find ourselves in this paragraph? One of the things that stands out to me is some of us are salesmen and go about. And it, it begs the question for me, what is it in my natural life? I don't have to, when I come into this recovery, I don't change who I am. Who I am becomes useful to the fellowship, and I allow myself to use that for helping others, and I allow my higher power to work through me. The other thing that stands out to me is this the idea of as we help others, 
it enables us. It says that this practice enables us to lend a hand. And this is when we go around and someone talked about when you go into different communities. And I'm going to be going into Boston uh, in the next few days. And I was, I'm thinking, boy, it would be wonderful to see if there's any fellows in the area that I'm going into that I can call and some and and you know god willing it would be great if i could get to a meeting out there and that's what we do when we go into the communities we are, we have the opportunity now for some of us and and in oa there are rooms that in in the oa fellowship that don't necessarily follow the book as we do unfortunately here on uh, uh, they don't necessarily understand the significance of working a spiritual program according to the way it's laid out in the book in the big book but we can lend a hand wherever we go we can tell our story of recovery to to our fellows because in our rooms all across this country we have OA people who are suffering who've been Lang, uh, languishing in the rooms of OA because there's no place else to go. We're like people who are the, the people who are in Towns Hospital, in and out, in and out, in and out. And for some of us, like myself, I was in for ten long years. I was in the rooms. There was no place else to go, and quite frankly. I got enough out of it that it sustained me. I got some recovery, but I was still miserable because I was up and down, up and down, until someone came to my into my life, and another OA person who brought the hope of recovery, who brought uh, that, that they talk about the twos and threes and fives that have sprung up. There were people who were who had gotten hold of this book in a way that we hadn't had it here before in the Twin Cities. And we I was invited to come and see what they were doing and how they were recovering and I was able to grasp hold of it. And that's what we're told here. It says we go to these different we don't stay away from from uh, places where there are struggle, people, OA uh, members, uh, compulsive overeaters are struggling. We go and we lend a hand, and we find this practice enables us to lend a hand at the same time avoiding certain alluring distractions on the road about which any traveling man can inform you. And I'm, I'm taking this paragraph and I'm taking liberty to try to translate it into our current day, what is, what, how we can use it presently. And it's so important that the, what it's talking about here is the alcoholic would go and help and that would keep him or her out of the bars, out of the tempt, away from the temptation of alcohol. Well, the same is true for us. We don't want to sit and complain about what's going on in the OA rooms and what they don't have and how they're not doing this or that. What we want to do is be available to our higher power to go and to share what we are doing 
and to lend a hand. And in the process, now maybe we already have a strong recovery, but it, someone talked about rocketing to the fourth dimension. There's no better fuel for being rocketed into the fourth dimension than service and help of a fellow compulsive overeater. That is the fuel that will take us to that next dimension. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon. Would anyone else like to share on this comment, on this paragraph? Leah? Hey, Leah, go ahead. Thanks so much. Someday we hope that every alcoholic who journeys will find a fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous at his destination. To some extent, this is already true. And, of course, this was penned in 1939. I mean, you'll notice the asterisk on the bottom of the page there, you know, written in 1939. I mean, today, thank God, you know, what, there's over... Two million members of Alcoholics Anonymous, and there are AA meetings uh, in over 180 countries. Um, certainly, you know the 12-step uh, solution has been introduced and utilized um, for you know numerous addictions and um, process addictions. Um, but now we have a job to do, and certainly they have done it well. Um, can we do that job for Overeaters Anonymous? Can those of us that are recovered, and it is the recovered people, you'll notice in the previous paragraph it says many of us former patients go there to help. Former patients, meaning who is carrying this message? This message was being carried by ex-problem drinkers people who had recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, not through any personal success or any personal power, but through the submission uh, to a power greater than themselves. They now were the experts in their field. Who's better to carry a message of recovery than those who have recovered from it? I mean, if you have a toothache, you go to a dentist. If you have a problem with your car, you take it to the mechanic. If you need to recover from compulsive overeating, who best to uh, be in conversation with is a recovered compulsive overeater. So this message had come forth with depth and weight. You know, it wasn't about frothy emotional appeal. It wasn't about intellect. It wasn't about knowledge. This was men and women who had been in the grips of the misery of alcoholism, and now they were free men and women. And now they had a message to carry. And boy, did it carry. And that is the hope here, uh, I, I wish, for Overeaters Anonymous. You know, millions in this world are dying from untreated addiction of one kind or another, and millions more in this world are suffering because they are somehow connected or love someone that's dying from these various addictions out there, out there in the world. And many of those dying millions and suffering millions would eagerly embrace this spiritual way of life if they only knew about it and the solution that it provides. Have we been able to do that in Overeaters Anonymous? Perhaps not. This is not about a life of relapse. This is a life of being recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, where we are free, (laughs) where there is no struggle, 
where we are X problem, the problem doesn't exist anymore. You know, there is a solution here, and it is spiritual in nature. It's not material. It's not physical. It's not human. It is in the fourth dimension. And this is possible by carrying this message, and we enlarge our spiritual life through this service and practice of these principles. And to say, yes, it is possible. I mean, most of you have heard snippets of my story. And let me say that as a result of coming to Overeaters Anonymous and and someone who had already uh, trudged this path, cracking open this big book, bringing the instructions to life, and under the guidance of that recovered person who knew what he was talking about, I performed the requirements in this book, and I am happy to declare today that I have uh, been recovered and free from the necessity of that first compulsive bite since January 19th, 1987. This is not about temporary respite. This is about salvation. That's what was happening to these men and women. That's why the fellowships grew and flourished. And that is what we wish for compulsive overeaters as well. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. And I'm just going to say ditto, ditto to all of that. And we as recovered compulsive overeaters have a responsibility to go out and share this message, this good news, this vision for you, this excitement, because... Is you know, it, either if we don't, we die, and others are dying around us by the millions. And with that, we've run out of time. And I would like to thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the Big Book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. And Kim, would you read a vision for you, please? Thank you, Monica. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.